Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, that gospel makes me wish I'd gotten a guest preacher for today. <laughs> Both Moses and Jesus, in their own ways, in the scriptures today, invite us to choose a life of grace, a life of commitment over spiritual death. <clears throat> and so, of course, my mind went to um, thinking about how people describe death, thinking about obituaries. And I found and remembered, um, and then found, the funniest obituary that I have ever read. And those two words, funny and obituary, do not usually go together. I'm just going to read you a couple snippets of Joseph Heller Jr.'s uh, obituary written by his daughters. Uh, there's some parts I can't read in church. <laughs> Joe was a consummate napper. There wasn't a road, restaurant, or friend's house in Essex that he didn't fall asleep on or in. There wasn't an occasion too formal or an event too dour that Joe didn't interrupt it with his apnea and voluminous snoring. Besides his beloved wife, Irene, and his brother, Bobby, Joe was predeceased by his pet fish, Jack, who we found in the freezer last week. Y'all can laugh. I don't know why you're not laughing. Joe faced his death and his mortality as he did his life, face on, often telling us that when he dropped dead to dig a hole in the backyard and just roll him in, much to his disappointment, he will be properly interred with full military honors and probably with Jack next to him on Friday. These words, this obituary that goes on and on in uh, hilarity are just some of the tribute that his daughters wanted to make to a man who had, um, like all of us, uh, no weight around death, but who, as well as all of us, has a choice about how to live his life. And he chose to live it with gusto, with humor, with his odd, quirky habits, with his difficulties, and showing lots of love. And this obituary also gives us a word to the wise that we might want to write out our own before our relatives have a chance to say what they want about us. And more seriously, it invites us to think of what people will say about us at the end of our lives. Will people be able to read our lives and tell if we chose a full life, or if we chose to live a life that was deadly? Will people know if we chose life or death? Will our legacy be of love and grace and forgiveness, reconciliation, struggles, falling down, getting back up, a full life, 
That doesn't mean an easy life, but a life that means choosing a way of life, a righteousness that goes beyond fulfilling the minimum requirements that we think God asks of us, because we can and we should, goes beyond that to a, a righteousness with actions rooted in justice and concern for others? Or will we choose to live a life that has more spiritual death of vengeance and toxicity? To choose death in our scriptures means to choose a life without reconciliation, without mutuality of relationships, without forgiveness, and luxuriating in brokenness and judgment. Moses and Jesus, of course, point us to life, the wholeness of life, the hard work of a full life, the hard work staying true to God's path. In the Hebrew scriptures, Moses and the Israelites are on the edge of something new. They are at a crossroads, literally. Behind them are bondage and years, decades of wilderness wandering. And before them is the destiny that they have been wanting is what they called the promised land. They are at this crossroads where they are about to enter where they had been looking for. And it is at this point that Moses is dying, their leader, their courageous leader is dying. And so he says his final words in 26 chapters, he writes his own obituary, essentially, saying what he sees as important, what it means to choose life while you are living. He is dying as his people look before them at the rest of their lives, and so he wants to leave a legacy of what it means to obey God and obey the covenant and to live with the divine presence. When he says choose life, Moses means choose God, choose Yahweh, choose the covenant. When he says choose death, he means don't choose idolatry in any form, which is spiritual death. Do not put anything above God and grace love. When he says this, there's no way that we should interpret it as a once and done thing. Choosing life, choosing God, choosing the way of love, choosing grace is not a once and done action. Choosing life Choosing to love God is a lifelong process that we have to commit to again and again and work on again and again. And thank God we are able to do that. Moses says some very specific things in this 26th chapter obit. 
He says, among some of many things, he says that choosing life means canceling the debts of the poor. It means pushing government to guard against excessive wealth. It means limiting punishment to protect human dignity. It means restricting those who can be drafted. These are specific things that he writes in the scriptures. It means offering hospitality to runaway slaves. It means paying employees fairly. It means leaving part of the harvest for those who need it. So when Moses looked back, he saw that life was best for the Israelites when they were trying to please God. And that's what he wanted them to take into their destiny with them. So we get to our gospel. This gospel can be easily misinterpreted as that old song, I don't know if it's folk or country or if my parents just sang it to me to put the fear of God in me, but it's God's going to get you for that. You know that? Does anybody know that song? Ain't no place to run and hide because he knows where you're at. No? Okay. I see you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> but that's how it can be easily misinterpreted. Instead, Jesus in this gospel seems to be imploring us not to settle, not to make excuses, not to be half-hearted when we have the capacity, the conscientiousness, the compassion to go for what's better for everyone. We are called to not settle. And we're not talking about type A personalities. We're talking about Christ-centered living, choosing the way of life which is soulful, spiritual, and ethical, that has to be chosen over and over again. It's not about perfection, but about striving towards the good no matter how often we've slipped or how far we think we have come. In the gospel, Jesus does not abolish the law and the commandments about living lives of wholeness and reconciliation that the Hebrew scriptures point us to. But he, he focuses more on our responsibility to go beyond that. And he spoke, focuses so much about our responsibility that it's hard to find any grace in this particular passage. He, he focuses on responsibility rather than grace. Yet, and I think this is so important, there is grace in responsibility and right action. There is grace in choosing the soulful, spiritual, ethical life, even when it's hard and even when we fail and have to do it over and over again. We choose, we learn to choose, we practice choosing, we choose wrongly, then rightly, and our ability to choose, our ability to respond to things in our lives, in our world, in our society, in our relationships, our ability to respond, our responsibility, is a gift from God. It keeps us from just simply checking boxes off of lists of minimum effort Christianity and saying we're through. 
Our responsibility seeks grace and wholeness of life with God for others as well as for ourselves. This is one interpretation of what Jesus was saying. I think he was saying, let's not say, I'm not so bad. I haven't killed anyone. I've lived out that commandment. But he's saying, let's work on our anger. Let's work on our anger, our violent anger, that makes targets of others weaker or different than ourselves. That make targets of people who just tick us off. Let's not say, well, I haven't cheated on my spouse. Aren't I a good Christian? Let's work on not objectifying women or men as commodities to be used until they are used up or we no longer want them. Let's not just flex the power dynamics in our relationships as marriage and divorce were in Jesus' day, relationships fraught with societal power dynamics. Jesus says, let's work on commitments, on mutuality, on equality. And that's a good word and a good work for us today. Let's just not promise truthfulness because we are forced to or we've signed some agreement. Let's be truthful for truth's sake and let's be trustworthy. Jesus is not asking us to be perfect, to be the Savior, to be him. We are none of those things. But he is pushing us, challenging us, imploring us in this gospel to be a little bit more like him, to be the best of our sacred selves, the best of our possibilities, and to look at brokenness and broken relationships from God's perspective of love and healing. We just had a class on the book Just Mercy, which we've looked at before, but with the movie coming out recently, it was time to look at it again. And I was reminded of a scenario in that book that was, it's not in the movie, and it's when Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, was, had just gotten out of court and had, had won some measure of justice for some people there. And he sat down and there was an older woman there who gave him a hug and she started talking. She, she told him a, her story. And her story was that she'd been showing up for years at that courthouse, even though she had nothing to do with most of the cases, any of the cases now in there. But she started doing this after her 16-year-old grandson was murdered. And she, she, she watched his killers in that same courtroom condemned and sentenced. And, and it didn't make her feel any better. That day that her grandson's killers were, were sentenced, a stranger, a woman she did not know, let her just sort of collapse on her, lean on her shoulder and cry until she couldn't cry anymore that day. 
So she told Brian Stevenson that she that day became a stone catcher, not a stone thrower. That refers to that story in the Bible where men feel justified to throw stones at a woman accused of adultery. And Jesus said, let the one without sin cast the first stone. So she said she had become a stone catcher, not a stone thrower. And she had shown up almost every day for years so that strangers who were in despair could cry on her shoulder as well. In the gospel today, I believe Jesus is asking us to look at our lives and not only change from being stone throwers in whatever way that manifests in our lives, but to be, and, and not just to be, become stone catchers, but to look for ways to stop the stones from being thrown at all. Choose life, both Moses and Jesus say. Choose life, not spiritual death. And while it's easy most days to try to numb in order to keep putting one step in front of the other when we're going through hard times or when we've heard of another injustice, or when we don't think we have the strength to move on. God asks us to remember that our ability to respond is a gift of grace from God. To remember whose we are. To remember that we want, in the end, for people to look at our lives and say, she chose life. He chose life. Amen.